we want to welcome you to the First Pulpit Podcast with Pastor Brent Snook. We truly hope that the message will bring you the encouragement you need today. After you listen, we'd appreciate it if you take a few moments to rate and review the podcast. When you do, you'll be encouraging others to listen so they can discover the saving power of the gospel through God's Word. Take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 12 this morning, if you will. I'm so glad you're here. And I trust that God will use the series that I am striving to preach, and I trust that he will use it not only in our church, but in your life as an individual. We just finished, really, in April, we will be finishing up 70 years of existence as a church. Uh, We took down the 70-year signs, and we put up the... uh, just some signs around the church of the series that I'm preaching. But I can't help but wonder what this church will look like in 70 years from now. The next 70 years. I wonder what it'll be like. I wonder what it'll look like. We've got some beautiful and wonderful facilities around here. But, you know, even 70 years from now, those, these facilities, they won't look probably as good as they do now. I wonder if our community outreach will look the same. I wonder if it will grow and be greater or if it will diminish and be smaller. Will we be a strong church? If we see church in a biblical view, if we see it from God's Word and a biblical view, I guarantee you, yes, we will be a strong church church. Let me just say that I have no desire at all for us as a church at First Baptist to be like some churches in Cincinnati. I have no desire for that at all, and I trust that you don't either. Recently, this is nothing I'm sharing with you that is new, but Recently, one of the churches, the largest church in Cincinnati, for their Super Bowl service, it's national news, so it's okay for me to say something about it, Uh, they were kicking Bibles, field goal kicks, out into the congregation. And for their service, they had uh, some dude uh, on a wrecking ball swinging on a spoof from Miley Cyrus in her Wrecking Ball song. Let me just say to you, if that's what you're looking for at First Baptist, we're not that church. And will, I pray, never be that church. What is our goal? To look like the church of Jesus Christ. To look like a biblical church. To be full of the Holy Spirit of God. And to have the same purpose that Jesus had in the New Testament. What was his purpose anyway? What is his purpose for the church? It's very simple. To reach the lost and to grow the saints of God. Now I realize that that church that did that, they gave as a reason and said, church should be fun. Well, let me just say that church should not be boring, but listen carefully. The purpose of church is not for it to be fun. The purpose of church is 
where the Bible says that we are to be a light for truth and where we are to be strong in Jesus Christ. Do you know what church is about? It's about knowing Christ and making him known. 58 times in the, church, in, in the Word of God, in the Bible, the phrase one another is used. 58 times. For example, it says love one another. It says edify one another. Greet one another. Hey, did you greet somebody when you came into church today? Do you know that's a biblical thing? Greet one another. It says serve one another. Submit to one another. Encourage one another. Pray for one another. Do you know what we are, First Baptist? We're a family. That's what God says. Do you know what the Word of God says that we are? We are a, a body. A body. And so as we focus on the one, another of the one another's of the Bible, we will truly become a strong church that, number one, pleases the Lord Jesus Christ. Two weeks ago, we saw, as I began this series on strong church, we saw that a strong church is a together church. The Bible says that it is the whole body. The Bible says that we are joined together. We're a team. And a team is where everybody participates. The New Testament church is to be lived together. Does that resonate? The New Testament church is to be lived together. Life is to be lived with one another. We're not to be isolated. We're not to be alone, you know, an alone Christian. But we are to be with one another. So today, there's another passage of Scripture that focuses on a few more one another's so I want you to notice this passage with me today. Romans chapter 12, I'm going to begin reading with verse 3, and I'm only going to read through verse 8 as I look at the first thing I want you to see, and that is that a strong church and its relationship to one another. What is the relationship we should have to one another? Notice verse 3. For I say through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members don't have the same office or function or purpose, so we, being many, we are one body in Christ, and everyone, here we are, members one of another. Having then gifts that differ according to the grace that is given to us, whether it's the gift of prophecy, then let us prophesy. If it's according to the proportion of faith, if we have faith as a gift, then, then have faith. Or ministry, which means serving. Let us wait on our ministering. Or he that teacheth. On teaching, or he that exhorteth or builds up on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth or leads, do it with diligence. He that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. 
The first thing I want you to notice this morning is that a strong church and the relationship to each other. Now, did you get that? The relationship that we are to have for one another. Hey, when a person becomes a Christian, do you know that when that person truly opens their heart to Jesus Christ, I'm not talking about religion. A lot of people are religious through our world. But I'm talking about when a person really comes to the saving knowledge and invites Jesus Christ into their life, did you know that they begin a brand new relationship with God? You know that, right? But not only do we begin a new relationship with God when we become born again, we also begin a brand new relationship with God's people. I heard about four young guys who were talking about what they wanted to do when they got a few years on them, and the first guy said, well, I want to be a congressman so I can draft laws to benefit my countrymen. Second guy said, well, I want to be a lawyer because I want to defend my countrymen. The third guy said, I want to be a doctor so that I can cure my countrymen. The fourth guy said, well, I just want to be a countryman so that you all can serve me, <laughs> you know. Well, that sounds cute, but you know what? It doesn't work in the biblical, strong church. It's not how it works. So let me talk about the relationship that we are to have to one another. And the reason I want to talk about it is because Paul makes it really clear what kind of a relationship we should have, again, not for me, myself, and I, but for one another. The first thing, it is to be an intelligent relationship. Do you know what God's Word says? We are to be filled with, you ready for this? Humility. Oh, man, you got to be kidding me. Humility. We're to be humble? Hey, it is so important that the Christian understand exactly how he or she relates to the body of Christ, the church. Paul, he's encouraging the Christian to have a proper opinion of himself. He is to have a proper opinion not only of himself, but also of others. So what does that look like? Well, verse 3, he says, Through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, don't think... Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Now, there are two dangers that he speaks of here, two dangers with this very fact. Number one, self-admiration. This believer can imagine himself that he's superior to everybody else. This one can kind of in his heart think, oh, he wouldn't say it, but she might think, well, I'm just, a, you know, head and shoulders above everyone else. They may think of themselves more highly than they ought to really think, whereas in their spirit, they're a bit more snobbish, a bit more proud. They think they're above the other believers, always believing that they are right and anytime somebody disagrees with them, that they are wrong. Heard about the guy that was driving down the highway on his way home from work, and his wife called him and said, Honey, be careful. I just heard on the news that 
there's a knucklehead driving in the wrong direction on the interstate that you are on, that you come home. Be careful. He responded, yeah, but it's not just one knucklehead. It's a hundred knuckleheads that are driving in the wrong direction. You'll figure that one out by the end of the sermon. Always thinking everybody else is wrong. And we're always right. There's self-admiration. And then there's another thing that people think, and it's just as wrong, and that is self-condemnation. That's the opposite. This person may think that I'm just not valuable to the local church. I don't have anything to offer. I just don't have much. I don't have a gift. And so there's self-condemnation. That's just as bad as self-admiration. Don't get puffed up by your own importance. And don't take yourself out of the game by thinking you don't really matter. You know, I, every time I pass a baseball field, I have regrets. I do. You know why? Because when I was younger, every year I made the All-Stars in baseball. Every year as a kid and as a younger guy. We ended up that year for our city. We were in the championship game. And I played third base. They had a rule, you know, you can only pitch, pitch certain, uh, a number of innings. And so I ended up having to go in to pitch. We had tied it up and we were going into extra innings. So I had to go in. You know what happened? The first guy struck him out. You would expect that from me, right? <laughs> Second guy dribbled it right back to the pitcher's mound. I picked it up. Easy. Boom. Threw it right over the first baseman's head. The third guy, their toughest batter. Whiz that, that baseball came right back at my head, and I mean it was about just, I blew the game. You know what I did? I didn't go out the next year. Coaches all over the city were saying, what are you doing, Brent? What are you doing? What? I quit. I still... At my age, have regrets about it. You see, a lot of things can take you out where you will condemn yourself. That's just as bad as pride. What does Paul say? He said, think soberly, not self-admiration and not self-condemnation. Let me remind you of something, church. Let me remind you, nobody is a nobody in the body of Christ. Nobody is a nobody in the body of Christ. So first of all, there's to be an intelligent relationship. But number two, verse four and verse five, it is to be an intimate relationship. Notice verse five, as we have many members in one body and all members have not the same office, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and everyone, here's the word, here's the phrase, members one of another. Now, Paul gets humorous because the analogy is about the body, your body. Think about it. That, here's the analogy that he uses. He also uses it in 1 Corinthians, the body that a person has. The Word of God is so practical, it is so good, it always uses examples and illustrations that we can understand. You can understand a body. 
You know what Paul said? He said, if the whole body was an eye, then how would we hear? Can you imagine now, just imagine this. I'm up here preaching, and I'm just one great big 175-pound Really, if I was honest, I'd say a few more pounds, but 175-pound eyeball. That's all I am. I couldn't say anything. I couldn't hear anything, but, man, I sure could see everything that's going on in this congregation right now, couldn't I? Let, let me put it another way. Does my hand bother you? Any, does this bother you, Joe? Not, not really, does it? How about this one, Leo? Does that bother you at all? Not really. But how about if I cut my hand off and I throw it out into the aisle? Is it going to bother you then? <laughs> yeah. You say, yeah, that, that'll kind of bother me. You know what? What's so bad about a hand? Come on, give me a break. Well, it's terrible if it's just lying out there on the floor. When a hand is connected to the body, it's very, very valuable. But a hand laying out there on the floor or an eyeball laying on the seat of a car somewhere, that's pretty gross. God has put us in a body. You are significant when you are part of the body, when you're connected. Paul says we are members one of another. We belong to each other. Hey, there are two primary reasons why I continued to pastor after my wife passed away. Two primary reasons. Have I ever shared this with you? Two primary reasons. Number one, I did feel, I did feel the weight of being and showing you, I'll put it that way, that Christ was enough. I felt that weight. For me to have jumped ship because of what happened in my life, uh, I knew I would have regretted that the rest of my life too because I would have displayed to you that maybe God's not enough. You want to know the second reason? Because I need the church. Is that okay for me to say as your pastor? Because I need you. You need me. I need you. We need one another because we are the body of Christ. There's four characteristics of a strong church. Let me just list them. Four characteristics of a strong church. Number one, there's got to be humility. Not where we walk around thinking we're better than other people. There's number two, diversity. We're all so different. Man, I'm different. I'm different than Cliff Stahl. You know, we're different. We're friends, but we're different. There's nobody in this church that's like me, and I'm not like any of you. We're all so different. There is the characteristic of humility. There's the characteristic of diversity. There is to be the characteristic of I mean, a strong church of unity. And number four, of activity. 
We're to be busy about the Father's business. We all have different gifts, and we're all to be used in the body of Christ. Listen, I can't do what Ken Chadwell does. I can't do it. He, he, ma- he maintains these buildings. Man, these buildings would already be falling apart if it were up to me. I don't know how to do that, but he does. We're so different, but we're all called to be part because we're of one body. There's a second thing about a strong church, and not only do we see a strong church and its relationship to one another, but we see a strong church and its responsibility to one another. We are responsible to one another. Notice verse 9. Let love be without dissimulation. The word dissimulation just means with. Let love be without hypocrisy. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't, don't say you love and be a hypocrite. There's nothing that anybody hates more than a hypocrite, right? I mean, we don't want hypocrites. We don't like hypocrites. We, we like for people, that's what the Pharisees were. He says, let love be without hypocrisy. Here's what he says now. Notice, abhor that which is evil. Hate the evil. Cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affectioned one to another. There's our term. With brotherly love and honor. Here we go. Preferring one another. Not slothful in business, but fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope. Patient in tribulation. Continuing instant in prayer. Distributing or giving to the generosity of the saints given to hospitality. Now, that was a whole lot of stuff that it's like, did, did you catch it? Did, did you get it? Let's go through it. In those verses, we saw two more one another's. Kindly affectioned one to another. Preferring one another. Now, you know what? You say, okay, that's good, move on. No, 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 let's camp out. Let's think about that. Affection to one another. I will be preaching on the love one another. And I'll have that as a standalone sermon. But he says here that we are to be kindly affectioned one to another. And then he says we are to prefer one another. Now, when you read verses 9 through 13, it brings about a desire. You know, when I read this verse and these verses, you know what I say? Man, who wouldn't want to be in a church like that? All of these amazing things. Who wouldn't want to be a member and an attender of a church like that? These verses show the exercise of grace. And it shows the exercise of grace that affects all the aspects of the Christian life. Let's think about it. Verse 9, it affects our character. Notice what it says in verse 9. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Now notice, genuine love has a negative side and a positive side. Here's what we think. Oh, love is just all positive. It's just all positive. Hey, show me a parent who always is positive with his kid, always giving in to his kid, always what we would say, love. And I'm going to tell you what. Wait and see how that kid grows up. 
No, there's got to be some negative, some discipline, right? Some direction, some moving. Genuine love is a negative and a positive. The negative, we are to abhor evil. Church, we should abhor sin. But we are also to be positive in clinging to that which is good. It's kind of like a doctor. We have a couple doctors in our church. We have a lot of nurses that attend here at First Baptist. Doctors and nurses, what are they dedicated to? They're dedicated to helping those who are sick, even with the deadliest diseases. They take, however, precaution. Why? Because they've got to protect themselves from those diseases. It not only affects our character, it affects our contacts. Verse 10, be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love, preferring one another. You see, as we mingle with other believers, we have a responsibility. You want to be a strong church or do you not care? If you care, then we got to understand we have a responsibility. We have a responsibility to show grace. And we have a responsibility to brotherly love. Hey, you're to have love for one another. I remember when I was in uh, college, I was on a mission trip. And the mission trip was to none other than New York City. Changed my life. So grateful for that mission trip. Changed my life for two reasons. That's where I fell in love with joy. And number two, it changed my life ministry-wise. One day, there were five different churches that we worked with. 25 students, so we divided up into five, five per church. And then we would rotate every two weeks. One night, there was a, there was a church that was having vacation Bible school with kids. Now, you've got to understand something. This was not, you know, Batavia, Ohio. This wasn't your kids. These are New York City kids. You get it? You understand already, don't you? And They'd had it already on Monday night, and the pastor of that church called the other pastor where I was, and he said, man, we need help, and we need it really bad. Can you send some of those people over and help us out? I was one of them. (laughs) What a night. I went, and I was there early, and the first bus rolled up. As soon as those kids, some of those kids got off that bus, big-time fight broke out. I'm over there, and, and uh, you know, I go over there. I'm in college, so I try to break it up, and I put one kid in a, one of the half Nelson, you know. He about drugged me over and was, you know, he, he was just all into it. Broke that up, got him calmed down, and through the night, in the closing sessions, there was a fight over here and a fight over there and a fight back there. It was chaos. At the end of the night, Big-time fights broke out. I mean, they were fighting, but the thing that was so interesting to me was those kids that I had broken up the fight as they got off the bus at the beginning of the night, now they're all fighting with each other, not at each other, but they're all on the same team. And they're fighting big-time another group of students. You know what I found out? These kids, they were all family. They were just fighting one another before vacation Bible school started. But you know why it escalated so much? Because now somebody else was going after the family, and this group, they were all in, man. Bring it. Hmm. I got thinking about that this week. We shouldn't be fighting with people outside the family of God. 
But I want to tell you something. We certainly ought to be devoted to the family of God. We certainly ought to be caring and standing together as a family of God. You see, what is a family like? How would you describe family? Warmth, um, tenderness, concern, loyalty. Notice brotherly love. Do you see that in that verse? Brotherly love. The term brother is used 230 times in the New Testament. 230 times, man, in the New Testament. Brothers, do you know what it literally means? From the same womb. From the same womb. It's a family term. We, if you have been born again and you are truly a child of God, if you are truly a follower of Jesus Christ and belong in the church, that tells me that according to God's word, all who have been born again, we are in God's forever family. Remember all Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn? Man, I used to hate reading when I was younger. Some of you love reading. That wasn't my thing. I'd rather be out playing baseball, football, basketball, or whatever else with a ball. But I remember I had to read this book, Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn. You know, they were the adventurers, right? They signed a pact. They signed a pact with their own blood. And oh, you remember what it was, man? It was a commitment to each other and all of their secrets and that blood brothers, man, they were even, uh, they were just uh, to do anything for each other, even if it meant to die for each other. Do you know as Christians, we're blood brothers and sisters in the family of God? Hey, hey, is this just some preaching? And let's get out of here. Or are you getting this? We are brothers and sisters in the family of God. And because of that very fact, we are to be devoted to one another with brotherly love. Now, what's that look like? Right? Okay, what's that look like? Let me give to you quick th- uh, th- uh, quickly three things. Number one, that means we're present. It's pretty hard to love from a distance. We're to be present. Number two, we should be attentive. We should be watching out for our family. You want to know why those kids all were fighting the other people? How did they even know? There were over 300 kids there. Man, I tell you what, they're attentive to their family. They're listening to their family. They knew what was going on with their family. We are to be attentive. We're to listen and we're to watch and contemplate and we're to pay attention to one another. We're to be expressive, number three. You see, communication leads to community. Are are you guilty like I am at, at times where I think something of my love and affection for somebody but never tell them? You ever do that? You think it. You feel it. But you never communicate it. Brotherly love is the proof of a spiritual life. 
We're to prefer one another. It also affects our conduct. Notice verse 11. We're not slothful in business. We are to be fervent in our spirit and serving the Lord. Let me just mention this real quick. Not slothful in business. What is that? That's the outward look. Then it says fervent in spirit. What is that? The inward look. And then it says serving the Lord. What is that? You can figure it out. That's the upward look. This verse has to do with the exercise of the gifts of God that God has given to us for the furtherance of his work and for the love and care of his church. Verse 12, quickly, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing in prayer. There's three things that it affects in our convictions. Number one, our praise. This isn't just a sentimental optimism. It is hope that is as bright as the promises of God. Praise. Number two, patience. The Christian doesn't rebel when tribulations come. He's patient. Do you see that phrase? Patient in tribulation. Listen, I promise you, I promise you, when the bottom falls out of your life with some great tragedy, you're either going to lean into God or you're going to run. That's only two things that are going to happen. I promise you that. Guarantee you that. You're either going to run to him or you're going to run away from him. The Bible says that he promises us things. We're to be patient in trial. He is patient knowing that God is too wise to make mistakes. God is too wise to be unkind. And oh, trust me, the devil will throw seeds of doubt into your brain. He'll throw all kinds of seeds of doubt into your life. That God's not good. Look at everybody else. They don't suffer like you do. They don't have the problems you do. I want to tell you, God's called us to praise, to be patient. You may be involved in tribulation today like Joseph was when he was sitting in prison. Maybe you're in the prison of financial bondage today. Maybe you're in the prison of marital bondage today and you don't know if your marriage is going to work out or not. Maybe you're in the prison of physical bondage in your body and your health. Remember something. God's purpose, listen to me, God's purpose is not to make us happy. God's purpose is to make us holy. You go to other lands, they don't have anything barely have a roof over their head and wonder if they'll have enough food for tomorrow. But they're saved in the body of Christ, in the church, and they are happy people. They have a smile on their face. You know why they're happy? Because they're holy. And so, we see number three in that verse. Notice what he says. Continuing instant in prayer. Do you know that nothing, nothing, and I mean nothing, adds more passion to your prayer life than tribulations, trials? Prayer is the tool of the power of God. And I'm telling you, I ask you, what will this church look like in the next 70 years? I wonder what it'll look like in the next 70 days. I can tell, I, I got an answer. It depends on how we pray. 
It depends on how we pray. Verse 13, it affects our concern. Read with me verse 13. Distributing to the necessity of the saints, given to hospitality. Now, I know that first phrase is a little daunting. You wonder what in the world that means, distributing to the necessity of the saints. So let me just give you a one-word definition of it. Generosity. Generosity. Huh. Oh, it affects our concern. We are to be concerned about one another. Here, we are pursuing opportunities for hospitality. It's speaking about a a lavish generosity. Let me ask you a question. Personal, but I'm not asking you to answer me. I'm asking you to answer for yourself. When's the last time you saw somebody in the family of God with a need and you were the answer? that need with your cash or your checkbook doesn't matter or your credit card when is the last time you saw a need and you met that need hate to tell you that's what that verse is talking about because we're in a family of God I got my daughter and son-in-law sitting down here in the front. If I knew they had a need that was a legitimate need that they couldn't meet, I can tell you right now, I'm here for you. Because that's what family does. That's what family does. And Paul says there's generosity in the family of God And there is to be hospitality in the family of God. I mean, a lavish generosity with one's worldly goods. Do you know what that's a mark of? True love. For who? One another. Let me ask you a question. Are you part of the American dream you say, what are you talking about? Where, where, where we have a goal and where we have to have this much money so that we're comfortable. So that we don't ever have to trust God. And then when you get to this level, eh, probably better get to this level. Just in case. And when I get here to a certain degree, a certain age, because this is where the goal is, and this is what all the financial planners say, uh, you get there, and then it's like, ah, you know what, but you just never know. So I got to get here. Come on. I hear a whole lot of you talking with silence. That's the American way, right? You want to know what the biblical strong way is of a church? To see people in need and step up and give. Be generous, hospitable. Nobody can ever lose who follows God's pattern of giving. Generous. 
I'm so grateful when I see so many people in this church that step up and do stuff for people in your family, the family of First Baptist. And I, you don't, I, I don't know it, but I find out. I'm so grateful for some of the couples who have stepped up and seen uh, maybe a widow or, or somebody who's single and said, you know what, I, I'm going to care for them. I'm going to love them. I'm going to be there for them. I'm going to show generosity to them. I'm going to be hospitable to them. Man, that thrills my heart. Some of you have been to the Israel, right, like I have. And if you go to Israel, you will make, everybody will make sure, every guide will make sure you see the Dead Sea. Dead Sea is very, very, uh, you know, it's just something interesting. You know what's interesting about the Dead Sea, don't you? There's no outlet. There's absolutely no outlet, none. You know what else is really uh, famous about the Dead Sea? It's dead. You know why it's dead, don't you? Because no outlets are around. It's kind of like what Eugene Peterson said. He said, no life of faith can be lived privately. There must be an overflow into the lives of other Christians. You know what that is? Generosity and hospitality. Well, i got to move. Last thing I want you to see, a strong church and its reaction to one another. Now, we don't have time to read all the verses in the rest of the chapter, but I do want to point out one verse, verse 16. Will you see that? He says, be of the same mind, here's their phrase, one to another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Folks, most of the time our conflict with other people has to do somewhere with pride. Somewhere. You see, a a high-minded, proud Christian is a contradiction to what God says we should be. Pride has no place in the Christian life. The Bible says in Proverbs that pride and arrogancy are an abomination to God. And yet, don't we all sometimes, somewhere struggle with it? Do you, you by chance, treat the rich a little bit better than you do the poor? Do you find yourself treating the intelligent better than the uneducated? Do you find yourself treating professional people better than unprofessional people? Hey, who's our example? Who are we to strive to be like? Who? Somebody tell us. Come on, loud. Jesus. Christ. That's our example. All right? Good. Glad you answered that. You were right. Let's think about Jesus a moment. How did he treat the woman at the well? She was an adulterous woman. She'd she'd had five husbands, and the guy that she was living with now wasn't her husband. How did Jesus treat her? With consideration. 
with courtesy and with compassion. He treated the woman at the well just the same as he treated a man by the name of Nicodemus. Who was Nicodemus? He was polished. He was a religious leader. Nicodemus was high and mighty. He probably had quite a bit of money. Hey, let me give you another example. Um, How did Jesus treat the thieves on the cross? (laughs) He was as charitable to the dying thieves as he was his own mother. In a world where everyone is scrambling for position, notoriety, prominence, it is so very rare to find those who are deliberately interested in the lowly and the meek. Junior Hill preached here, I don't know how many times, love that guy. Love him, love him, love him. He was just an old country boy. He lived in Alabama, Hartzell, Alabama. Grew up there. Junior Hill, however, preached in the biggest churches in the country. 6,000, 7,000, 8,000, 10,000. He did. You didn't know that. You know why? You would never dream that he preached in churches like that because of who he was. I got to know him really well. It's one of the great blessings of my life was to get to know Junior Hill. He passed away a number of, just a few months ago. Junior Hill told me, he said, he knew my hero in the faith was Adrian Rogers. And we had talking about Adrian Rogers. Let me, let me tell you this. Um, I would go to a conference and took the staff and we went to First Baptist Church of Jacksonville, their pastor's conference. And it was our wives and pastors and I'm telling you, it was, it was by far the greatest conference for pastors I've ever been to. Nothing compared to it. Usually around 6,000 pastors from around the country were there, and it was just a, an amazing time. Adrian Rogers, the greatest, the, the, the most familiar and well-known pastors would be there to preach. Adrian Rogers, uh, Jerry Vines, Jack Graham, uh, you know, the list went on and on and on. But here's what they would do. One time every week at the pastor's conference, just the big speakers would have a banquet after a service. And Junior Hill told me this, so I know it's true. Junior Hill said that all those big boys were there at the banquet at the best hotel in Jacksonville after probably about at 9 o'clock at night after the service. And all these guys were there and everybody knew each other. But Adrian Rogers was talking to Junior Hill. And Adrian Rogers, they were hanging out. Junior had preached for him many times at Bellevue in Memphis. And and all of a sudden, Adrian Rogers looked over and he said, who's that guy over there in the corner? Well, you know what Junior Hill had done? He had invited this guy who pastored a church of about 75 people out in the country in the sticks of Alabama. He invited him to come. He, it wasn't up to Junior Hill to invite anybody, but he did. He just said, hey, man, go along with me and, and come. And So when they got there, that guy was kind of hanging out by himself. Nobody knew him. Adrian Rogers said, hey, Junior, who, who is that guy that's over there in the corner? He said, well, he said he just pastors a small little church out in the sticks of Alabama, and I just, I just invited him to come to the banquet. 
You know what Adrian Rogers did? He left talking to Junior Hill, and he went right on over to the small country preacher and spent the rest of the night with him. No wonder God used Adrian Rogers in such a powerful way. Meisters? No wonder God used Junior Hill. Just a big old boy. He wrote a little book called, uh, man, I can't remember the name of it now, but it was about one, one, here's the name of it, One Man's Battle with Obesity. He wrote a book about that, a little, little book. I thought, man, I know Junior Hill because he was always obese and struggled with over, being overweight. But man, how God used him. Do you know what Matthew chapter 11, verse 29, do you know what Jesus said? Do you remember? Here's what Jesus said. He said, learn of me because I am meek and lowly of heart. May God help us all to remember that the trees that bear the most fruit always hang the lowest. Do you know what the key to verse 16 is? Unity with one another. You know, Kip, we're, we're different. We're, 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 we're different. We got a lot of the same interest, sports and things like that. We're different. You, you run a pharmacy. I'm a preacher. I'm a pastor. That's all I've ever done. It's probably about what you've done forever. We're different. You're different. You know what God says? You want to be a strong church? Be unified. You want to be a strong youth group? Care about the people that aren't like you. Love one another. Now, verses 14 through 21 are really tough. We're not going to read them, but can I just give you some phrases that are found in verses 14 through 21? Listen to this. It's a really tall order. Just listen. I didn't put it on the screen, but you can read it when you get home. Verses 14 through 21. Here's some of the things that it says in those verses. Bless them that persecute you. Really? Recompense to no man evil for evil. If it be possible, it says, live peaceably with the people that you like. Nope. Live peaceably with all. Avenge not yourselves. If thine enemy hunger, go feed him. Do not overcome and be not overcome with evil, but rather overcome evil with good. I'm done. Can can I just have a couple more minutes? Come on, how in the world are we going to do this? Right? 
I mean, did you just listen to what I just said? What, what I read? That's, I just read it. How in the world am I going to do this? How are you going to do this? I mean, it's almost like, hey, we're okay, we're not going to be a strong church. Doesn't come normal. How are we going to do it? There's one answer and only one through the Holy Spirit of God. That's it. When I got right with God, when I was a teenager, my youth pastor, I know he thought, this, this isn't going to last. So he asked me if I'd go work at a Christian camp for the summer. Well, it was on Lake Erie. If it's on water, I'm in. It was in the mountains? No, nah, probably not. But it was on the water, Lake Erie, Camp Patmos on Kelly's Island. Well, who wouldn't want to do that, right? And they gave us all kinds of jobs. And one of my jobs was I was to go and help another guy with um, sunfish sailboats. I didn't know anything about sailing. All I knew was I loved water. And, and so the teenagers would come, and for free time, they'd get to, we, we would teach them how to, how to you know, make these sailboats uh, move. Suppose I taught them how to move a sailboat by getting out of the boat, it's just a two-manner, getting behind it and shoving it while I paddled my feet. And tell them, you can get from there to over there, and you can do it this way. That would have brought about exhaustion, right? But suppose I hoist up the sail when the wind comes. And let that wind just take me to the other side. You know how we become a strong church? By the wind of the Holy Spirit of God. By hoisting up the sail and letting and waiting and praying and trusting that the Holy Spirit of God is going to get me from there all the way over to there where we're not such a strong church, but now, man, we're moving there. We're getting there because we're doing the one and others of Scripture. So I ask you today, are you going to take what the Word of God says? Because I'm telling you, you're part of that family. You don't live on an island by yourself. So, as we are members one of another, we must be kindly affectioned to one another with brotherly love in honor, preferring one another, and at the same time being unified to one another. I'm telling you, I know one thing. If we will do that, oh, we won't be here in 70 years from now. Maybe a couple of you, some of you. Most of us, I'm not going to be around. And to be honest with you, I don't want to be around 70 more years. But I know one thing. We can move as long as we're here to become a stronger and stronger church as we depend on the Spirit of God. You agree with that? I hope you do. Because that's a biblical church.
Next week, I promise you, I'm not swinging on a wrecking ball. (laughs) And I'll never kick a Bible. You want to know something funny about me? I heard a professor years ago. He said, I don't ever try to put anything on top of my Bible. And sometimes I'm guilty. But most of the time, I feel the same way. This is God's Word. God's Word is filled with instruction. And God's Word is filled with a prescription for us to be strong in the body of Christ like a prescription helps us to be strong in our physical body. Strong church, would you bow your heads? We hope you enjoyed today's teaching from God's Word. Before you go, if you were encouraged by today's podcast, please rate and review it so more people can discover the message of Christ's love. Thanks again for listening.